Welcome to another edition of the Fern Podcast on the Radio St. Pete Network. I am your host, Michael Duggar. Joining me, as always, nice Friday evening, day after Valentine's Day, inching closer to my birthday in a couple weeks, is Noah Heemer holding it down in the, in the state's capital. Noah, how are things in the 850? Things are going well. Um, schools in full swing. It's been... Weather has it hasn't gotten hot yet in Tallahassee. Um, I think it's about to, but you know we always start off with a little weather update for Tallahassee. You know, um, but other than that, man, things are things are rolling. How uh, holding things down in Tampa? You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to weather, dude. Speaking of, oh God, I love how we always talk weather to start the podcast. It's just it's just great because weather's very important to us, and it was hot in the 80s past like i'd say like four or five days and then wednesday comes around bang high of 60 low of 40 i'm like all right i can dig with this next day high of like 75 but i still wore hoodies you know i just gotta it's a mindset keep myself cold and then today was just a picture perfect 75 degrees day a beautiful february day in florida and i'm just like you know i missed the cold but being able to be outside all day in February is not the worst thing in the world. I, I, I can live with it. I, I, I can tolerate it. I can tolerate it. But I do miss the cold. And actually, you know, just, just for podcast sake, let's check out the – oh, it's negative one Fahrenheit in Winnipeg as we speak. So sorry. Sorry up north there, eh? Um, <laughs> but uh, all right. We're here. It's the NFL. Last weekend was the first – oh, I just thought of something I want to talk about. Depends if you watch it or not. But it's the first weekend of the NFL football last past weekend. And it was actually nice. I mean, we haven't had multiple games in three weeks and all that. But something did actually happen. A Super Bowl MVP, a Pro Bowl quarterback, was traded. He exchanged teams. Um, and that is your boy, our boy, the elite community's boy, Joe Flacco, was traded to the Denver Broncos. For was it? Did they say what uh, what round pick it was? Third or fourth yet? I think fourth. Fourth round, if I if okay. I'm remembering correctly. So a fourth round pick sent for Joe Flacco. Um, let me think where I, I don't know where to start. I mean, because it's for for starters, this means 100 percent full confidence. Our boy Lamar Jackson, I mean, even last year, was he was already the unquestioned leader, unquestioned future quarterback starter going forward. Now flat, the Flacco shadow is lifted. It's now him and RG3, RG Nonies, depending how you want to call him. So, but this trade for Denver has a very crowded quarterback room, one that has $40 million into the names of Case Keenum and now Joe Flacco. Uh, not very good, just to put it lightly. So, 
I'll let you talk. Let's talk about the round. See if you think if, there, if a fourth round pick is worth Flacco, the money on his deal, having Keenum in the room, what this means if they're going to draft a quarterback for the future, all of these things. What What's your overall takeaway from this Flacco trade for the Broncos? I just don't get it, man. It, it just doesn't make sense. Um, they still got Keenum on the books. Um Unless if they trade him somehow, he if I'm reading this correctly, he's got a minimum $10 million cap hit um, in case Keenum alone. And Flacco doesn't have any guaranteed money left, but he still has is demanding a high salary. And you trade a fourth. They got two fourth rounders, and they trade a fourth rounder for Joe Flacco. And then they're probably going to – I wouldn't be surprised if they went quarterback in the first round still. So you're going to go quarterback in the first round, potentially, Flacco, and and then uh, and still have Keenum. It's it just doesn't I, I don't know. I don't get the I don't get the appeal of trade of they bailed out Baltimore. Like Baltimore is on their hands and knees just like praising John Elway and the Broncos for taking such a large contract off their hands and it fully allows them to emerge into the Lamar Jackson era. And that's, that's exactly what the Ravens needed to do was to delete the controversy that this isn't Lamar Jackson's team. And, and, um, and so now he can fully take over and the team is going in that new direction. But from a Denver standpoint, this just kind of is, a, I, I saw someone tweet on, I saw a tweet on Twitter. Um, shockingly, I know. Um, <laughs> tweet on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, who would have known? I would have found a tweet on Twitter. Um, but oh, that's, someone, that's great. That's but great. someone said that Elway is just trying to preserve his legacy as the best Broncos quarterback of all time. And <laughs> and honestly, if it wasn't Jake Plummer that was going to overthrow him, I don't know who was going to throw him as the oh. best. I know that I knew that would be a throwback for you. Um, All right, well, let's stop right there because now I want to get into this discussion. Who is, <laughs> I mean, the best quarterback's Peyton since that era, but I feel like Peyton was an anomaly. So, who do you think the best Denver Broncos quarterback is since LA when we're throwing Peyton Manning out of the system, out of the out of the equation? Because I'm looking at the list and it's not pretty. No, you got. Dude, how, um, I think don't don't pass on my boy Brian Greasy and Bubby Brister. Did you ever play NFL Blitz for uh, the sixty yeah. four? Yes. So you know about Bubby Brister if you play with the Broncos, man. That guy's that guy's awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna throw out the names. You got Brian Greasy. Yep. Brian Greasy was the quarterback for four years, who was backed up by Gus Farratt and Steve Berline, two just classic names. Two thousand three. Your boy Jake the Snake Plumber comes along. He has Steve Berline and Danny Cannell as his backups. Now I know this interesting. Is Danny Cannell got starts. Danny Cannell had two starts in 2003. Jake the Snake started until 2006 until the man, the myth, and the legend Jay Cutler took his starting <laughs> spot. After our boy Cutler became the Kyle Orton era. Kyle, or- Kyle Orton Lord. started 15 games in 2009. 
And Chris Sims started one game in 2009 for the Denver Broncos. Good Lord. After that was Orton and then, you guessed it, Tim Tebow for three games. 2011, Tebow has 11 games. That's when Tebow mania hit. Kyle Orton started a little bit, then Tebow took over, won that playoff game over the Steelers. And that's when Peyton Manning's like, all right, all right, Tebow, you go do your thing. Peyton did three years, went to the Super Bowl once, then was split time with the Brock, uh, Brock, the Brocktober himself, Brock Osweiler. Split the time, won the Super Bowl, and then Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler traded starts. They had Brock Osweiler come back, and then Case Keenum started all 16 games last year. So... That's a pretty awful list of quarterbacks. Yeah, especially how, especially now having twenty twenty hindsight and knowing how Jay Cutler and the rest of his career has panned out since he's been in Denver. That was the Josh McDaniels Cutler too. Exactly. So, so which are you going to go? Greasy Plumber Cutler or in Tebow or Simeon? Say a little to your Big Ten. Um. I'll say Tebow was the most entertaining oh just God. because of the whole thing around it. Um, but in terms of best quarterback, um, I'd probably go either. I don't know. I kind of want to go Kyle Orton. What? Bro. He, oh. I just uh, Jay Cutler with McDaniel's was fun, um, but Brock Osweiler was horrendous. Simeon was eh. Paxton Lynch did he even start a game? Paxton Lynch actually started two. He two started games. four games total. Wow! Um, what a first round pick. Traded up to get I, him. I would. Say, I mean, Jake Plummer would probably be the OG pick for me. Um, Whoa, that's symmetry. The second you said OG pick, OG Anunnabi got introduced in the Rising Stars game. That's just symmetry. Mm, nice. Symmetry. symmetry. But, absolutely, I go Jake the Snake. And it, How dare you say Tebow and Kyle Orton. Your Big Ten, bi- <laughs> your Big Ten bias is showing. Always. Gosh, God. But All right, back to this thing in hand. Flacco, Keenum, $40 million dollars in a quarterback room that will get you to an 8-8. Eight and eight. Going it's, up in a division with, against Pat Mahomes and <laughs> Phillip Rivers. We're not going to mention Derek Carr because we're going to talk about the Raiders after. I want to talk Kyler Murray. I just want to talk about Kyler Murray in a little bit. But, I mean, first off, who do you think the opening day starter is? For the Broncos? Yeah. I mean, I wish it was Kyler Murray, because um, I still think him to the Broncos is a match made in heaven. But I don't think mm-hmm. Elway would ever draft such a look at who he just traded for—just tall, look tall look, statue. Look who he's drafted. Yeah, if exactly. If, if you're six five, you're on his radar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just ridiculous to think of because. Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield. I mean, those three off just right off that. Mm-hmm. Three guys that can get it done, but they're not. And if any, if the Broncos had any of those, I mean, obviously, if any team had any of those three quarterbacks, it'd be awesome. But 
that's been the whole reason why the Broncos have just struggled with success is because they got no one to move the ball vertically down the field. Yeah, At a consistent absolutely. rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they've seriously, had... seriously, do you think it's going to be Flacco? Do you think they're going to actually roll the – I mean, you trade a fourth – I don't I, – what's the QB competition even look like? I don't know. That's the interesting thing is, like, because you're still wondering – like, here, here's my thing. Is Elway trying to, like, position himself to get a quarter a, – a, there's no way he's thinking, like, two years out and trying to get one of uh, – trying to get into the sweepstakes of Tua and – um, Trevor Lawrence type. Well, let me look. Let me look at their tw- on the on the twenty twenty cap. I'm on SportTrack.com right now. Because that's the only thing that like if they don't draft a quarterback and they just keep building the team, are they just planning to trade up and one of those t- for one of those two guys and particularly Trevor Lawrence? I mean, they I think tw- whoever. Sorry, let me let me cut you off. But I mean, whoever gets that, I think whoever gets that top pick in the twenty twenty draft won't really be trading out, because I don't know why any team would be passing on Trevor Lawrence if they have the slightest quarterback need. They have twenty. You know, they have. Oh, oh dude, Trevor Lawrence in Denver. He's six six. That's perfect. That's what I'm saying. They have on the books in twenty twenty. They have Joe. <laughs> They have Joe Flacco for twenty point two million. That's just ridiculous. Uh, the thing about this, this is why I I'm not going to give him a pass because I'm just not because your boy picked the Joe Flacco Ravens to win the division last year. They didn't. They did win the division, but it wasn't because Joe Flacco. Um. But looking at their salary for this year, I mean, let me just do base salary. So they have Flacco for 18, Keenum for 18, Von Miller for and Keenum has a $3 million signing bonus and a dead cap hit of 10. So he's honest, he's on the books for that. Von Miller you're not it's Von Miller. Um they could take 2.2.68 million in dead cap and cut Emmanuel Sanders coming off a did he tear his ACL ankle Achilles what he do? I think Achilles. I, it was Achilles if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, so they have him on the books for 10. Probably get rid of him. Um, Ron Leary, 1.7 against the cap guard. Derek Wolf, two, they're not going to get rid of Derek Wolf. Chris Harris, their DB. Darian Stewart. So they have some like flexibility they're, because their offense, their skill position players are so young. They have Freeman and Philip Lindsay on um, undrafted free, un, an undrafted rookie contract and a mid-round draft pick respectively. You have Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, and these these they're good receivers on reasonable contracts. Their O line's young right now, except for Leary and I think another position. But so they have this, they have a if they didn't make this move with Flacco, they actually had some cap space to retool their team. Which is why I don't is there a trade lined up? They have to have a trade for Keenum lined up. Where? I don't know. Jacksonville apparently has interest with Foles, and that interest is mutual, which is a perfect fit if it wasn't um, Derek Bevel, the old Seahawks coordinator running that offense. We'll see. But what other quarterback teams are there? Is he going to go to the Dolphins for one year? Are the Dolphins going to let Tannehill walk 
and then trade for Keenum and then draft Kyler Murray and develop him are seriously. I can't think I'm of thinking any, about it. I there's no quarterback needy team that needs Case Keenum on eighteen million on twenty one million for one year. The Vikings. <laughs> I was thinking that. So. <laughs> Wouldn't that get be some a, get some competition <laughs> for Kirk Cousins? You know. Yeah. And it's weren't the I think the Broncos were like in like the final five for Cousins too. It was the Broncos, Jets, Vikings, I mean, maybe the Redskins. The Redskins are the only team, man. The only team. I actually like that. I actually think I wouldn't with, mind I wouldn't mind Case Keenum to Washington. With Jay Gruden, with Darius Guys coming back. I mean, they were seven and hey, nine, I think, or eight and eight. Yeah, That's we easy. we said it. We said it last year. We thought that Alex Smith was an upgrade to Washington. Now looking at it, is Case Keenum in Washington better than Kirk Cousins in Washington? Oh, <laughs> only reason I'm not saying yes immediately because Keenum didn't look that great last year, but he also had one of the worst O lines along with Kirk Cousins. It would not surprise me, but the they, the only way that they can get Keenum is if they somehow get like a, I don't know, like the makings of the. I should probably do some research, like the salary cap, where if you're injured for the whole on the injured reserve for the whole season from the start, or the PUP physically unable to perform, that, uh, if your contracts, if you're if you're still like within the salary cap, like I don't know, the, like that makings of that yet. And if they are, and if they aren't, they can make that move probably. But if they are, they definitely can't make that because he takes up all the salary. So, I seriously, I don't. Has John Elway come out even explain this move? Not that I know of. I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen anything. It's a, it doesn't make sense though. Like it, when I saw it, I was like, why would the Broncos trade for Joe Flacco? I did see someone say that his 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 only elite skill is drawing pass interference calls on deep bombs, so maybe the altitude can affect him and he can get a lot of pass interference balls from from uh and move the ball on the field. I honestly, I mean, I does does Elway have the mile high miracle stuck engraved in his head when Flacco won that game and snuck stole that one? I mean, it's, I'm baffled by this because I mean. Great finesse so, by the Ravens. Yeah, Ravens great. They get <laughs> great off the finesse. Books. The pressure's gone. They got a fourth round. Got a pick. fourth round pick, which is yes, great. And that's another rookie contract. They can just reload, keep retooling that defense. Get some playmakers. Ravens need to get some playmakers. That's a different story. Um, but yeah, I mean, where does with Denver has so many issues with O line consistency, secondary line. They just let Brandon Marshall go, their longtime linebacker, like. These are these are players you could have. These are areas you could have used that 20, that eighteen million for. But now it's done. He's on the books for next year. So it's like they're it's like they're plugging a like a hole in their wall. Like they're plugging like their hole in a wall with with like not even electric tape, not even duct tape, like tape just like clear school tape. That's what they're plugging with. Like oh, hopefully this holds in, and then what? I, I mean. There's serious questions. Elway inherited a great roster, and he didn't inherit a great roster. He inherited Peyton Manning. Peyton Man- he didn't recruit Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's like, you know, I see Denver. I can go win here, and nothing to do with Elway. But the problem is no one wants to, It's 
No one wants to go talk to. No one in Denver is gonna tell Elway, "Hey, maybe you, sh- maybe you're not doing well. Maybe you should just step down." I mean, he's not gonna. St- I, I don't know. I, as this is the only time I'm gonna give Skip Bayless some props. This he said a long time ago: "The better the player, the worse the evaluator." And I'm. Th- I thought about that, and. I mean, you have Jerry West, the logo, one of the best, one of the probably the best team builder in the NBA ever. You have, uh, I'm I'm serious. I can, in football, Ozzie Newsom was a Hall of Fame tight end, but and he did and he built the Ravens. There's just, I mean, Bill Belichick wasn't an All Star player. All these Bill Parcells wasn't an all, like Hall of Fame football player. So. Elway needs to seriously look in the mirror and be like, hey, if I need to do more research, I need to actually look at stat sheets instead of just focusing on history and height and just whatever because it's kind of – this is – your quarterbacks you've picked are Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, and – Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon. You bring in Case Keenum and Joe Flacco. When does one – Super Bowl win that was Peyton Manning in an all-time defense. When is that enough for? It's, I just thought of this. You know what's the worst part is that they're they're going through a lot of stuff with their ownership because their owner's dying and stuff like that. So the daughter's about to take over the team. We'll see if the daughter goes in there and gets some power in a couple week in a couple years. Whenever Bolin um, passes, if he if he can still keep fighting, but there's just a lot of things. This is just a messy situation. It's just. And this is me just talking through it as best as I can. Yeah, I'm not like like you said. I'm not really giving the uh, the Broncos a, a f- glowing report or a uh, pass on this trade. I really it doesn't make sense. It seems as if it's a waste of resources in terms of trading away a a uh, top of day three pick in the draft, um, but also. Uh, just not having any foresight because you trade away a pick, you bring in another veteran quarterback contract, and you already have one on the books. Neither of these guys are the future of your franchise, and you got holes in other places. And that money and cap space can be allocated elsewhere, either in just retaining it and or trying to make a splurge uh, with a free agent or two, or even trying to keep some of your guys in house that you're going to need to resign moving down the line. Um, but instead it seems as if they're put themselves in a financial bind, uh, just to get Joe Flacco on the books for what reason? I don't know. What was I going to say? What was I going to say? Oh, I lost my train of thought. I had a question. Ah, uh, oh, here it is. Who are they bidding against? That's what I don't get, man. Like, who else is going after it? I don't. What? Like, we we we're talking about QB needy teams, but Seriously, Miami. But I, but I don't think I don't think he's a Brian Flores system quarterback. The Patriots need. I mean, with the because they had the Patriots wide receiver coach. I think's now the new OC down there. You're bidding against yourself. Why and why do you have to do this in February? You could have maybe got a seventh round pick, throwing a seventh round pick around the draft for him. Oh yeah, but, but you you settle for right now. 
of all of any. Uh, it seemed like it was just a move because they were bored and wanted to make a move, and now they're here. They had the extra fourth round pick. They're like, eh, why not? They're going to trade Keenum, and they're going to end up trading the better quarterback on their team. And oh, it's gonna, completely it's agree. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be not embarrassing. It's going to be hysterical. It's so. classic NFL NFL management, honestly. All right. I think we've bashed the Broncos enough. We've talked about the Ravens. Good thing. I just had another, speaking of QB trading controversy, all that stuff, I have a question that I did not talk about this. It just popped into my head, and I feel like it's just a good discussion to have. If you were the Philadelphia Eagles, what would you do with your quarterback situation? It's already done. It's done. Wentz is the guy. Foles is looking to get moved. But you're not... Howie Rostein, that's his name, yeah. You're not Doug Peterson. You're not Jeffrey Laura, the pre- the owner and all that stuff. What would you do with the Wentz-Foles dynamic? I'd probably be handling it exactly how they're handling it now on the basis alone that it's kind of how I looked at the Jameis Fitzpatrick situation, and it's kind of the same reason why both of – both of us were banging the table that when Jameis got done with his suspension, Jameis should be the one starting. Um, and it's investing in your future. And they already put, they traded up to be in a position to take Wentz. And they saw him as the guy. And I don't think that you can abandon ship because he goes down with injury. And you just, I think the Eagles are just fortunate that they had such a great backup in Nick Foles. And had that in their pocket and utilized it. And I think they should be thankful and appreciative of what he offered for Philadelphia. But don't ruin a good thing because you want to keep it going. All good things got to come to an end. And I think pushing the envelope and trying to make Nick Foles in the future would. And then try to figure out what they wanted to do with Wentz. Like if they wanted to trade him or whatever they wanted to do with Wentz. Because so, they wanted to, if they were to keep Nick Foles, I think it would just be uh, short-sighted and caught too much in the, oh, look at how great he's been for us in the past two playoffs. As great as he's been, yes, you still, but you still got to be thinking long-term. And Carson Wentz is thinking long-term for the next 10, 12 years. What about his injury history? I think it's just something that you got to. The NFL does a good job of protecting quarterbacks with their rules. Like, we didn't see. We saw Jimmy G and Carson Wentz go down this year. But other than that, like, what quarterbacks were really taking drastic uh, time off because of injury? I mean, Alex Smith, but that was just a freak. A freak uh, to all the Redskins' court. The entire Redskins team fell apart. So mm-hmm. they're an anomaly. Um, I think it's just something, it's also a discussion that you have to have with your sports medicine team and the team doctors and team physicians and looking at Wentz and go, is this something that is a possibility of continuing to flare up or is this a possibility or is this a one-time punctuated thing and moving on forward? Um, because just cause a guy's injury prone doesn't mean that he's going to get or injury prone. is just like a, it, it, it doesn't really exist. It does, but not really. Um, like anyone can get hurt at any time, and it's more a matter of chance than anything. Um, I'd still roll with Wentz as long as they're as long as your team doctors and your sports and the rest of your sports medicine team felt confident um, 
about his recovery and where and where he can go in terms of his health and what he's going to be limited by. Um, but like I said, I think that the Eagles should just be thankful and appreciative of what Nick Foles gave to Philadelphia uh, and for the Eagles organization. But I think ultimately, you know, it is what it is and that you just got to move on and um, no hard feelings. But like as an organization, I think that's what is best for them. Hmm. Because I'm in the other side of the equation. I like Foles. I, I think because Wentz's contract is due in two years, so you're going to be paying him $30 million a year. And the guy's been injured the past two years. He tore his ACL when he came back. He had some solid numbers, but it wasn't Wentz numbers. And... He just didn't look the same. He doesn't. His yards per attempt was larger, but for some reason, it didn't like he, he was like he was just locking in on Zach Ertz and Jeffrey went by the wayside. And I don't know. I the reports. Did you read the reports about the locker room? How the, no, I did think, not. Some just people think that Wentz rubs them the wrong way in the locker room and all these things. Whatever it is, interesting. And I'm just like, you had Nick Foles lead you to the playoffs. If Nick, if Jeffrey catches that pass, it's not Jeffrey. There's a lot of things happening. Their offense slowed down, all that stuff. He catches that pass. It's third and three, and there's a very there's a very good chance with how dangerous Foles is in the red zone in big moments. They win that game, and then from what they already hammered the Rams with Nick Foles in L.A. and who knows? And they already beat the Patriots with Nick Foles, so. This whole thing is so close to just being completely different that Foles is a back-to-back Super Bowl champ. I know it's very hypothetical, but he is in his prime. Wentz is 26. He's not some, he's not some like spring chicken. He's he's not he's not too young. He is that Foles is 30. It's do you think with Wentz's injury history combined with um Injury history and stuff. Yeah, he, he, he missed this year with the back injury now, right? I think That is what back. he was out with, yeah. Okay. So the ACL, the back, all the lingering injuries and all that stuff. It's safe to say that Foles is a better athlete right now, I would say. Like speed and running ability and all that stuff. Foles is the better athlete? I would say that because he was a, a star in college, in high school basketball and stuff. I would say at this point in time with injuries taken into account, um, yes, Foles is a better athlete. Okay. So in that case, in my opinion, he's a better fit for this offense. He, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast at all, I'm so on board the Foles train, it is ridiculous. And there's no reason for me to get off right now. There is... Like, I just can't get the... It's safe to say Foles is more beloved in Philadelphia than Wentz. And unless Wentz is a Super Bowl MVP that wins a Super Bowl, he'll never be as beloved as Wentz, as Foles. Foles, I definitely feel like would sign a discount deal in Philadelphia. I definitely feel like he'd sign a two-year, $23 million contract that's heavy on the incentives to keep this team's cap flexibility open and as in their championship window as open as possible. And 
can you, we were just talking about quarterbacks being traded. Can you imagine the trade value Carson Wentz would have right now? The Raiders have three first-round picks. You could probably get two of those and some second and a second or maybe a third for Carson Wentz. You give this coaching staff and team and front office three first-round picks total, even if they're all in the 20s, that is that is what the smart, analytically-driven teams do in the front office because they accumulate draft picks and they use those picks to get to get players on rookie contracts. That's, that's, that's my thinking. Wentz, I loved Wentz in, during that MVP season. And we, you and I especially, we were waiting for him to turn the corner. We were waiting for him and the Packers with Rodgers. Wentz never did it. They lost. They only had one blowout win, and it was against the Giants. So, and we see what Foles did at the end of the season. We see what he did in the postseason. He always does this. And I just wouldn't want to let that good vibe go. I wouldn't want to let someone who has such a good, who's been in Philadelphia twice, who honestly has a ridiculously good record in Philadelphia. I'm doing the math real quick. Nine and seven. What's nine plus six? 15, 15 and nine. <laughs> <laughs> 15 and nine. He's 21 and 11 as a Philadelphia starting quarterback in the regular season. And he's four. Four and two career for the postseason. Well, I just if you understand the dynamics of of the quarterback cheap not cheap, a quarterback in his prime being on a rookie not a rookie deal, but because once his rookie deal is almost done, that's what I mean by all this stuff, which is why having Foles agreed if you could get him to take a discounted contract, which it seems like he would. What seems to me like the best way to maximize your championship window, which is very small, and get a lot of assets back for Carson Wentz. That is one option. It it definitely it, it and I think that all just kind of depends. I think a lot of it more so comes down to, um, how the locker room is honestly, um. And I think at that point you have to take some more subjective uh, viewpoints that we won't ever have insight to. And I think that would be part of the reason of why I would make my decision the way I made my decision. I think that's why they made the decision that they made. Um, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm curious to see what teams would trade for Carson Wentz. And who would be willing to shell out the picks? Because I think if you could get in, you could get Foles on a mid-tier contract, then yeah. But also, if you're making Foles the guy, he has a lot of ammo in terms of like, this is why you should pay me the big bucks if you were going to pay Carson once the big bucks anyways. But I I just feel like Foles, under, like Foles got the second chance to be in Philly. He was a very well-paid backup, and I just feel like he's just the type of dude who's just going to be like, yeah, I'm cool with, just give me $10, 15000000 million per year, and let's move forward, and let's win some championships. But to each his own, he want, maybe he wants the big money, but to me, it just seems like he wants to win championships. And if the- maybe Wentz is a guy who wants to take the less money, but with his injury, injury history, that wouldn't be the smartest thing to advise Wentz to do. 
So it just depends. Do you want Wentz? Do you want Foles? I prefer Foles and trying to figure out what you can get for Wentz. You like Wentz because you like the rookie deal. He's the future and all that stuff. So it's just... It's just... I don't... I don't... The Eagles just traded so much to be in a position to get Wentz. And I don't know why you would have his misfortune. Do you trust your evaluation? Do you trust that he is the guy moving forward? Or are you going to let what has happened on the field over the past two years? Because if he was, I think he was playing hurt um, this past year, you know, like he came off that he wasn't a hundred percent and you could tell he wasn't, but he was trying to push through. Um, so are you going to go back on what you did and then try to recoup some of your assets like that and be like, Hey, we got a better option. Or are you going, or are you going to ride or die with your decision to trade up in the draft and get him then? And I think more often than not team, that's why I think we're seeing the team, the Eagles do what they're doing is because why would they go back on something that they were very committed to doing from the get go? Mm-hmm. And that's very and it's valid. Not, and it's, it's not like he has like Gronk type injuries either. Um, and I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of the reason why you could have Carson Wentz sit out is because you did have Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it, and it was like, hey, obviously you're not ready. It, it's kind of like it, you would have seen the same, a similar thing happen in Carolina with Cam Newton. The only reason Cam Newton played for what 15, 14, 15, through four, week 14, 15 is because they had no one else at quarterback. Like it was mm-hmm. Cam or you know the the kid that made this the for his first career start and got lit up. Um, Taylor Taylor Henneke, Garrett Gilbert yeah. started. So did you I, did you watch did you watch the AAF? I didn't haven't watched any. I've seen highlights. I saw that quarterback get demolished, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> speaking I of actually, quarterbacks, I, I actually tuned in to the first game, the Orlando Apollos versus the Atlanta something, and that was some of the most interesting football I've ever I've watched because. The Orlando Apollo scored 40 points, and the rest of the league, com- all the other seven teams combined to score 36, I think. And Steve Spurrier is in charge of the Orlando team. They had Garrett Gilbert as their starting quarterback. They had a couple FSU guys when I was there. Trey Jackson, Reggie Northrup, to name a few. Marquez White. Um, and besides, what was the other team? And the starting quarterback for the Atlanta team was Matt Sims, who is... F- uh, the son of Phil Sims, the brother of Chris Sims, and their backup quarterback was Aaron Murray. And, I, and, and I'm just like, how bad do you have to be playing quarterback right now to have um, to lose just to lose a starting job to Matt Sims, a guy who hasn't played professional football in years. So that was that. I mean, the takeaway from that is the league actually got some good crowds. I, I like that idea. Did you at least see the clips of the re- referee replay re- video? Yes. That is something I, I would like. Um, that would make because you want to you want to give the fans as much access access as possible. And yeah, it was nice. It was nice to feel like I was not being blocked out from any of the decision making process. Mm-hmm. And and instead of having the ref run over to a tablet, it's just someone upstairs getting it done. It takes a minute or two. Instead of an, a half hour, and it just there's a lot of things that the AAF could do, and like which in terms of opening up um, 
giving players another opportunity to make to shine and make the league and the referees and the rules and stuff because there's no kickoffs. There's no go, there's no extra points. So That's I nice. like it is a lot of going for two, which means Steve Spurrier gets creative with his stuff, with with his constant two point conversion calls. And it was just nice. They did an Orlando special, man. They threw it past the Gary Good. It was just it was just an actually entertaining product. Maybe I'll go to a game. I uh I read an article on like someone reviewing their experience and they said what they loved about it was it was relatively cheap tickets, uh traffic wasn't too bad, uh parking was cheap, uh stadium concessions weren't bad. But what they loved is they didn't have to devote five, six hours total to go to this football game like you would in um NFL like you or would college. in an NFL NFL or college because they just had less te- they had less commercials, less timeouts. Um the stadium atmosphere I guess was kind of like a mix between pro and college, just kind of like a lighthearted type of thing cuz no one has like particularly you're not going to see any Orlando Apollo diehard fans right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like you're not going to be like uh, what what pops into my mind is have you seen the South Park episode of the baseball when they go to the Little League World Series? Yeah, and they and they keep and, you, and, they, and they keep you know, you, to lose. Yeah, you know Bat Dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't have any bat dads yet for the Orlando Apollos. <laughs> Let's go Orlando Apollo. You know, like they ain't got that. They ain't got fine. that going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's my guy today. All right, all right. Come on, <laughs> South Park. Come on, <laughs> these chumps. Oh God. So I need to watch the latest season of South Park. But yeah, AF AAF AAF. I think it's AAF. XFL is coming soon. I did see one thing that I thought was hysterical. So the winner of the AAA, is it, it's the AAF, right? Yeah. AAF, the winner of the American Alliance football, whatever, plays the champion of the XFL. The winner of that game faces the lowest, the worst NFL team, and the winner gets the NFL spot, and the loser goes to one of the other leagues. I want complete chaos. I want these that would run NFL franchises, franchises, aka Oakland, to Las Vegas, San Francisco, wherever they're playing football this year. Like the beauty of European of every single soccer league, except for every single sports league except for the United States, is they have relegation. So if you are one of the three worst teams or two worst teams in your league or four worst teams, you go down to the second level, the minor leagues. The not minor leagues, but like you're still professional, but like the but like the championship in England. And if you are the top three in one of those leagues, you go up. So these teams can rise from the fourth division all the way to the top if they get a group of they get a core group of guys that understands everything, understands what they're trying to do, and has an owner who's going to put money in. It makes it just makes a lot more thing. It rewards teams that are run well run and washed out the bad teams. Is the football level near that yet? Probably not until the AAF and the XFL make a lot of money and become like a promising thing. But I would just like to see that. That's the end of my rant. Um but we have about 17 minutes left on the first first hour. We still have two things to talk about. Two, I don't want to say controversial topics, so two just subjects that are 
that have had updates or conclusions this in this past couple days. The best one that of the day. We'll start with Cream Hunt. Cream Hunt was signed to a one-year, bless you, was signed Thank to you. a one-year contract to the Cleveland Browns. Um, it's I don't even don't even know how to describe it. He has been convicted of anything yet. He signed to a one-year contract. He'll be your specific agent as his contract expires next season, which means the Browns control his rights. There, the Browns GM uh, is Scott Pioli, right? Yeah, no, no. Who? It's Scott Pioli, Phil, right? I thought no. it was Dorsey. Who? The Browns? Yeah. It's Dorsey. Dorsey. I get him and Scott Pioli confused so much. Sorry about that. So, Dorsey drafted him in Kansas City, brings him in. Um, he was released by the Chiefs last November after a video surfaced of him shoving and kicking women last February at his residence in Cleveland. He's from Ohio, from Cleveland, so there's ties there. He was arrested in North Face charges, and he was also accused of punching a man in June. He's still on the commissioner's exempt list. He is not eligible to play until the NFL completes an investigation. Into the incidents, an decision on potential discipline is made. Um, it's still ongoing and nowhere near to be done. Insiders said that he may not; he's not going to play until at least November. Um, so we're not going to get into the is it right, is it not right? Because it's a terrible situation, but it's not our. We're not. We're not the moral standards of. We're not the moral judges of character here. Is it bad? Yes, but and it's interesting because Ray Rice never got a job. It won't get, never got a job again. So there's a bunch of little tidbits like that, but I don't want to get into near them. I just want to talk about the football perspective of this. And if you have anything else to say, by all means, step in and make your comments. But how do you feel this with on the Browns? Like, is this a good move for the Browns? I think it adds, and just speaking in terms of football terms, like you said, it adds depth to them, and it adds a. No one denies what Kareem Hunt can do on a football field, um, and his ability and what he brings to an offense. But if I'm the Browns, like, do you even really need him? Like, I don't know if it's worth the trouble that they're going through. Nick Chubb is awesome. Like, awesome. After he took over Carlos Hyde and they traded him to Jacksonville, which was a great finesse. Um, like uh, he's been great and I, he gets great yards after contact. He explodes through the hole. He shows like him and Sony Michelle were such an awesome one, two combo at Georgia. And now that they're on their own doing their thing, it's great to watch. Um, so I just don't think it's necessarily necessary for them to have done it, especially because you still got Duke Johnson in the fold, who is so underutilized, it hurts me inside. It, like, honestly, if there was a running back that the Bucks ever targeted to trade for, not that they would, I would love if they traded for Duke Johnson. I think the next team that gets Duke Johnson on their hands is going to be ecstatic with what the type of production he's going to put up for them. Um, So I just don't think it's necessary i don't think it was a necessary risk to take in terms of even just pr and the culture that you're bringing into your locker room and what you're signing off on 
Um, I'm not, and it, it, I think everyone, I, I don't want to like excuse what he did, but it wasn't on the same level as the Ray Rice video. I think everyone, I think that's agreeable upon, um, mm-hmm. not to excuse what he did, but it wasn't on the same level as the Ray Rice video of the elevator, but it just doesn't seem as if it's necessary to put your team and your organization stamp on it. Um, cause some team was going to sign it. It wasn't like, like what I was saying is it wasn't a matter of if someone's going to send Kareem hunt, it was a matter of when he's too young contract would be too cheap. Um, too much ability. doesn't have a whole lot of miles on him. And the video wasn't teams are going to look at it and teams, you know, it's not Ray Rice level. Um, so I think that's why it was more a matter of when, not if. But I just don't think it's necessary for the Browns, and I don't think that they should have put themselves in that position because there are a lot of options out there, especially in this draft. Like me, we, me and you have talked about back and forth how much we love this running back. I, at least yeah. me, how much I love this running back class. Um, I just don't think it's necessary, especially when you have Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson in the fold. Nick Chubb was the number one graded running back by PFF last season. And what I think this move means is that Duke Johnson's on the trading block. Oh, 100%. Do they have to trade him now? No, but I could see them trading him around the trade deadline, see who wants him. And the thing about Duke Johnson is, you're talking about being, him being underutilized. I saw someone say it wouldn't shock him if he's the he just takes over James White role in New England. Oh yeah. Which that's exactly where my f- mind that's exactly where my mind goes when I go someone's going to get their hands on him and I go New England's going to get their hands on him and he's going to be he's if he goes to New England, he's going to be him and Sony Michelle are going to be the best one-two combo running back tandem in the NFL next year. That if that were to happen because you have the pass catching ability like you can split Duke Johnson out at any time, but I also believe that he could he 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 is the best third down back. Like I love him. I think what he can do on a football field is great. Um, and him with a one-two punch of Sony Michelle that would be so so sweet and just perfect for. It would just be the most patriot thing possible. Yeah, they love taking Browns players and making Super Bowl champions like they do with McCourty and Danny Shelton. And they, I mean, these two teams love making trades. Like Jamie Collins, I mean, today's the anniversary of Bill Belichick being fired by the Browns. So there's like a lot of Browns Patriots history, despite them being at the end of the spectrum. But what Kareem Hunt could do for this offense, I love Chubb. I love his route. I like his route running and his screen game. He's good. But is it me, or do I just think Kareem Hunt is just such a much better um, receiver? Or was that a product of Kansas City? I think that's a product. I think that's a product of Kansas City and how they scheme their running backs. Because it's not like in the first couple weeks without Kareem Hunt, Chiefs struggled. But in the playoffs down the stretch, Damian Williams was producing. Yeah, it wasn't Kareem Hunt levels, but he was still banging it in there. He mm-hmm. wasn't having any too many issues. And do I think 
Damian Williams would have been able to do what Nick Chubb did for the Browns this year? No. Do I think Kareem Hunt could have been able to do what Nick Chubb did for the Browns this year? Yeah. Better? Eh. Eh. Not really, <laughs> in my opinion. I feel like it's such an interesting situation. It's, re- very, it's really... Very interesting it, situation. Oh, man. And um, from one dispute that's unconcluded to another one that was concluded today. I don't know. I assume you saw the news of the Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed grievances being settled. I did. Yes. So that means everyone's the Kaepernick. He had a collusion. He had a collusion case against the owners of the NFL that they were blackballing him from playing in the NFL because his stand is taking knees against um, police against um, what's the word? Just just poli- uh, police killing young African Americans and stuff like that, and all that stuff. Just trying to highlight the some racial problems in our country. And the ownership didn't take too kind of that, so he was blackballed. And I feel like the case. I saw someone tweet this to tie it in, tie it back in to conclude the first hour. Joe Flacco is that. Joe Flacco getting traded was the final case, was the final <laughs> the final argument for uh, Kaepernick's team and all that stuff. But it has come to an end. Kaepernick was offered $20 million to play in the AAF. He poorly turned it down. Um, but even besides that, I think we were not going to get the how much money he made released. But I saw it was in the rumors of 60 to $80 million he's settling for. And, I mean, there's not much analysis to dive in with this. It's just the league and the, the NFL still has some problems. Kaepernick still is – Kaepernick is making so much impact with, with through the Nike, with his jersey being sold, which is kind of ironic since Nike is the company of the NFL, and all of these just different facets and all that stuff. So, I mean, I don't – there's not, I don't feel like there's like a, a – a huge back and forth discussion to be had on this subject, but any thoughts on this situation finally coming to a conclusion? He's obviously most likely not playing the NFL again. Um, and yeah, six. If he get if he actually did get sixty eighty million, that's a pretty nice thing for now. He's getting top quarterback money. He's getting Kirk Cousins money without throwing the pat, without throwing a pass, taking the, the physical punishment. So just. Any thoughts? I mean, like I said, this isn't like the big back and forth discussions. Any thoughts, including thoughts on the Kaepernick case being officially settled? Just kudos to Kaepernick, man, for sticking with your guns and going down regardless of how it was going to be uh, for what you believe in and what you fight in. I think that's what America is all about. And I think that's on a foundational basis level. That's exact. He's exercising his rights and doing exactly what this country allows people to do in his position um so i tip my hat for him to be able to do that and standing up for whether whether you think he what he did was right or wrong that's a a you decision to make but i think you can uh at least i can respect and commemorate his uh dedication to his cause and what he really truly was sticking up for um on the flip side i think the nfl I think Kaepernick was about to, because the trial, they were supposed to go to court at the end of this month, I think, beginning of next month. Um, I think NFL owners rather shell out the 60 to 80, 90 million or whatever it's going to be 
to uh to just keep what they had against him under wraps easier to just shoom away with some honestly pocket cash when you take all 32 nfl owners into account for what they're probably shelling out to him it's it's nothing to them in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. um 60 to 80 millions not a whole lot between 32 nfl owners even if the, at most he's looking at three million dollars per owner like <laughs> that's like and that would be that would be 96 million dollars that right there is three million from each owner and that's nothing for nfl owners that's like yeah. us paying a hundred dollar fine like yeah whoa, whoa hundred dollars is a lot to me come on now i don't got that yeah but NFL, you can, i don't got those <laughs> i know i know Joe, i don't but, got the nfl game checks coming in i wish that'd be great yeah without um, the NFL punishment but i mean to coach you off like that but yeah i just think that that's kind of the basis of that and i think a big thing is i'm curious to see how all this is going to play out because we're living in a great moment in history. Um, I don't want to say like a Jackie Robinson type thing, but I do think it is a punctuated event like Jackie Robinson. I think it's something that is going to be talked about in history books and talked about moving down the line in terms of the development of our country and how things have panned out, especially considering who our last two presidents have been having the first black president, uh, in the United States and then going to a complete 180 opposite in our current president Trump. And then to have this going on in the NFL, like we're living in a crazy, crazy, crazy time period when it comes to race sports and equality. And I'm just trying to soak it all in and try not Mm -hmm. to get too riled up so I can appreciate what I'm living through now. Yeah. um, And not to, not to be, it's not all about Kaepernick because Eric Reed got some grievance too because he was out for a job for most of this most of the season until the Panthers signed him and then he he played so well he earned a three year twenty two million dollar contract with the Panthers and on top of the grievances he probably got because he's been completely he was been right there with Kaepernick all the way and it's how long do we have we have about two like yeah just under two minutes yeah I mean it's just the history book thing is such an interesting dynamic because. We're not. I mean, we'll be alive for to see it in textbooks. Maybe we'll see it in our grandchildren's textbooks. But this is such a weird time in history that we're gonna look back on and be like, "Man, this was wild." Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like it's the safest time to be in the world as in terms of killings, in terms in like the grand scheme of history. But and like I, I feel safe. You feel safe. I don't. I'm not in the shoes of these people and and, and all that stuff. But it's such a crazy time that there's this much polarization, and the polarization has transformed, has transpired into our sports. But then you look at the history of things. I mean, the '90s and '80s. I mean, you had uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. I listened to a podcast about his stories and stuff like that. He he's iconic for that. Tommy Smith, and I want to get this right. Um, John Carlos, I think, is who it is. Yeah, Thomas John Carlos in the 1968 Olympics, the Black Power protest salute at the at the Mexico City Games on the stand. You have that. 70s, you had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In the 80s, you had the same thing, Louis Center Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being at the forefront. You have Bill Russell before that. Eight, uh, 80s and 90s kind of took like a step back. Yeah, Jim Brown just going. I'm trying to transpire forward. Now you have 
like the LeBron James who he he says his stuff and all that stuff. But now for the first time in like 15, 20, like 25, 30 years, you have a face of a movement in Colin Kaepernick. And a lot of a lot of people boycotted the NFL. I don't know how many. I don't look at the Super Bowl numbers, but some people look like they did. And kudos to Khan. If you don't, even if you don't agree with with the whole thing, it's just kudos for someone to stick into their sticking. I'm not going to say sticking to their guns. That's a terrible, fr- terrible phrase to throw into that. But sticking to the <laughs> truth, <laughs> believing in it, and willing to go the extra mile for what you believe is good. So, Khan Kaepernick, I agree. We salute you. Get that money. And, I don't know if that's and, necessarily the right thing to say either. <laughs> what, get that money? No, salute them. Oh, God. Man. Uh, um, I sent some, sh- some 3D shockers to you guys over a Skype call. So, with that being said, we'll be right back with hour two of the, of the firm podcast on the Radio Safety Network after these st- station identification and messages. And welcome back to hour two of the Firm Pack feet for uh, the Firm Podcast on the Radio Stampede Network. Noah's still here. We just got through a rollicking mid-break um, discussion about Sade, Keith Sweat, Music Soul Child, Tom Mish. It was very in depth. We were going to get recording. We will definitely get some Sade music talk, especially as we get to the uh, the dire days when there's no football, literally no football to talk about. And I'll be dominating that with NBA and golf coverage. But in the meantime, well, there's one more thing that we want to talk There's about two more things. Knowing us, it'll lead us to about 75 different topics <laughs> of discussion. We'll, we'll see how we are staying on path. But one more quick thing, NFL, is Kyler Murray. We talk about Kyler Murray often. We love Kyler Murray. You want him in the Broncos. I want him in the Dolphins. I think he's going to go to one or two teams. We talk about the Rosen thing. We talk about the Cardinals, but I'm hearing, a, I'm hearing, a, I'm seeing and reading a little bit that the Oakland Raiders could either pass on him with their first round, first, I think they have the second or third pick, pass on them, pass on him then, and then use those later two twenty picks and use some draft capital to get up and get Kyler Murray to push Derek Carr. Um, I'm not gonna. This is Derek Carr out of the system because we both think Derek Carr is. A poor man's Kirk is a poor man's Kirk Cousins. Um, Ooh, and on this podcast, that is not a compliment at all. Oh no, no that's that's like about as that's like, like that's as new- that's as bad as it gets on this podcast. Saying you're a poor man's Kirk Cousins, <laughs> that's about as ter- I might call someone that. If someone that, hey, you're just being a poor man's Kirk Cousins. That's about as big of an insult as you can hey. get. I mean, between sticking to your guns and poor man's <laughs> Kirk Cousins, we have a couple podcast names to for this episode to throw around. But anyways, um, <laughs> I love that we're going to start doing that now. But um, what are your thoughts on, do you think Gruden and the Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, get some generate a lot of buzz? you think Kyler Murray could succeed in a John Gruden offense? And the better way to say it is, do you think John Gruden would orchestrate an offense to be around Kyler. I mean, I think so. I mean, Kyler Murray can stretch the football down the field much better than Derek Carr. Much better than Derek Carr can. Um, I, w- I want to talk about the misconception of Derek Carr real quick before we really dive into this. Um, I think a lot of the reason why people, like, a big reason why, you know, Derek Carr's second round pick, he got, in the, got picked in the same draft as Khalil Mack and Khalil Mack's the one that's not on the team, which is just absurd. Um, but people forget who 
Derek Carr played college ball with. You were, do you do you remember where Derek Carr played ball at and who he played with? Fresno State. Throwing to. Give me a team. No, it'll give it away. <sighs> throwing to Fresno. Throwing to State wide receivers. Throwing to fantasy football's number one wide receiver this year, Devontae Adams. Adams went to Fresno? Adams went to Fresno. What? Oh, man. Shout out Fresno Cali. So that's, I think, when you, I think if you were to go back and watch the film, it wouldn't be as impressive as Derek Carr is, but more so what Devontae Adams can do because that man is fantastic. I, ooh, favorite, probably my favorite receiver in the NFL. Um, Man, he's Cali. He's Cali, born and bred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's baller. Him and him and Redwood City. Him and Aaron. Man, him and Aaron. This, him and Aaron Rodgers got that Cali connection, bro. Cali. Bro, him and I were born. Him and I were born in California at the same time, just two months apart. Shout out Christmas Eve, baby. Man. Ah, continue. I'm pleasantly happy. Um, but that's a, that's all I have to say about. I just kind of wanted to highlight some Devonta Adams and shed some light on why. Derek Carr might have had the reputation he had coming out of college. Um, anyways, I think Kyler Murray would. I think if you, I th- I don't see why John Gruden would have an issue with trying to get a, uh, trying to get an offense orchestrated that could tailor to Kyler Murray. Uh, John Gruden's, at least with his time in Tampa, has dealt with much, much worse quarterbacks and have yielded decent results. Um, so with that being said, it's just as long as you have, I mean, I think Kyler Murray needs a run game, but most quarterbacks need a run game. Um, Kyler, I was actually watching some film, watching some Twitter threads of people breaking his stuff down, and he actually throws... The new, the new, age, the new, the new age film, Twitter analysis, baby. Oh, love it's it. great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> It makes my life so much easier. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, because people break down in, uh, things that I don't have time to do, and then they break it down. I can watch, you know, a whole chop-up of things in 20 minutes, and I got mm-hmm. I got three games under my belt of all the important things I need to see. Um, By the way, qu- quick interrupt you. Matt Waldman just released a 50-minute video breakdown of 10 games of Kyler Murray. I need to watch that. Haven't I need, watched I need it to, yet. I need have to not see watched that. it yet. His comp... Guess who he thinks his comp is? Who? Carson Wentz. Really? Yes. A man that is was in a similar college system that needs that. Like if they pretty pretty much said that if Kyler Murray was in a system like, um, like the Eagles have with Carson Wentz, that that is where Kyler Murray is very successful. Oh, I could, I could, I, I'm on board with that. I'd agree with that. Just from what I've, the little, the small snippets that I've seen and the games that I've watched him from, I completely agree. He has the arm talent. And like I said, on the whole baseball thing, he doesn't need a great base to throw. He, 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 his arm is that talented. Um, that would be a lot of fun. Do you know who I think, dude, just side note, but so before I jump to the side note, uh, I do think Kyler Murray would be a solid fit. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. But again, my beef with it is how do you hype up this smaller 
Heisman winning quarterback, yet 31 teams, 30 all 32 teams passed up on Ravens, Lamar Jackson at one point. Including his own Ravens. Mm-hmm. I just, personally, I don't understand why it has to be in contrast in that. And maybe it's just like the high level of, we, we last year's class, quarterback class is going to end up being a historic one with Baker Mayfield, Lamar, you got... Uh, Josh Allen, you got Josh Rosen, you got Sam Darnold, you know, you got a, you got different quarterbacks and whether or not like some of them are going to be great. I think we can count Baker in as one. Lamar's going to be successful at the very least. Um, Josh Allen showed potential. Uh, the only one that's really kind of like on the fence right now in terms of what he's going to be able to do is my guy Rosen. Um, but he was probably, mm-hmm. he was probably put in the, the worst quarterback situation possible last year. So it's going to be curious to see in new coaching staff. It'll be his second time learning a new offense for an NFL. So we'll see what it's like um, for him moving forward. Rosen to the giants. I would be Trade down. Rosen to the giants for their, for the number six pick. The Cardinals get Bosa one and Kyler Murray at six. I'm in. If that's with Kingsbury running the show. If, um, if that happened, then I would take, 100% all of my criticism back that I took about the Giants t- drafting Saquon Barkley. 100%. I, I would I would I would <laughs> I would rescind all of it. I I would if they literally well, well, only Why would you? Why would you? Why would you? Because the issue was is like the reason why the the Giants knew what kind of quarterback class was coming in to this like they were that they knew it was going to be a bigger discrepancy between last year's and this year i'm a huge josh rosen fan i think he is like the perfect heir in new york for eli manning i think he fits that very well i think he would fit well with the new york media um because he doesn't have like a shy personality by any means um isn't afraid to stand up for what he thinks is right and whatnot um and also, I mean, we saw what Saquon did, and I, he did things that I didn't expect him to do when he got to the NFL. Um, he made ridiculous people miss. And then if you could tell me that you got one of my top quarterbacks in the NFL uh, coming out of the draft, my number two guy, um, also plus getting a generational running back like Saquon, I think at that point you could consider that a success. I don't uh, I don't know man I just uh, do I think they should do I think they should have drafted him no but if they still if they somehow swing a Rosen deal or I think Haskins would be a good fit there if they get one of those two guys then I'll be I'll be okay with them taking Saquon just because of what Saquon did for the Giants this year. And I think Saquon and is a very, very valuable asset to have for a rookie quarterback. Look at what he did for Trace McSorley at Penn State. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd have their own little HBO there with Haskins, Barkley, and Odell. So, oh yeah, maybe we'll see that. Ah, just get Eli out of there. Just, just please. And he's there for one more season at least. I don't think Kyle Lalueta from Richmond is your savior either, even though he's accurate. I don't think he's the guy. Davis Webb, I don't even know if he's in the league still. But, jeez, everything goes back Everything goes back to Saquon. Uh, <laughs> um, 
All right. <coughs> we, didn't really, we didn't really talk a lot about uh, the Gruden-Kyler Murray marriage, potentially. But, I mean, I would like to see it just because it would bring intrigue to that franchise because there is literally zero right now with that. Cause just, they're, just, they're just a dumpster fire. And we'll see what Gruden can do with those draft picks. I, one of the people who said, we'll see what he can do. And then from there, we'll judge it. So, let's move on to a topic very near and dear to your heart. Something that you... There's probably no human alive that loves talking about this more than maybe besides Paul Feinbaum, um, and that is quarterback transfers in college football. There were a plenty, plenty of big names this year. So, where do you want to start? This is this is you. I'm just going to be playing little point guard, little not new school point guard. I'm playing 1980s point guard. I'm John Stockton. I'm running the pick and roll. I'm not trying to get my points up. You're trying to get your points up. You're Carmelo on the situation. So. Carl. Carl. <laughs> the mailman. Where do you want to start with the, in the quarterback transfer saga? Uh, Not even a saga. Where do you want to start in the quarterback transfer discussion? Um, I first kind of want to just lay out the foundation of what's kind of happening in college football. Um, Free agency, baby. The, Free agency. The evolution of what we're seeing. Uh, we're starting to see. It's so interesting um, because we're living – uh, NCAA is still abiding in a 21st century, very high, highly advanced uh, system in terms of every all the money and dollar signs and intricacies that go into college football. Yet we're still abiding by 1940, 1950-ish uh, rules in terms of scholarships, um, compensation, uh eligibility rules transfer rules things of that nature um but what we're starting to see it there's a actually a surprise again another one of these situations where i wish i would have bookmarked this tweet or something on the stats on transfers of five-star quarterbacks but we see it we're, we're seeing a uh, a lot of five-star quarterbacks high-end quarterbacks go to schools be there for a year year and a half make it through like a season plus spring ball type things two seasons plus spring ball transfer out um but we're seeing five-star recruits transferring out of their initial schools and it's essentially turning it's a second recruiting session of high-end quarterbacks and the thing is at this point it's like we for example with oklahoma a dominant Big 12 team, past two Heisman Trophy winners, to kind of bounce off Kyler Murray, was a five star was mm-hmm. a five star quarterback at Texas A&M. Didn't get the job, transferred to Oklahoma, sat behind Baker Mayfield, who was also he wasn't a five star quarterback, he was a walk on, but nonetheless was a transfer. Transferred to Oklahoma, won the job, become Heisman winner. Kyler Murray sitting in the fold, running scout team quarterback whatever he's doing comes in steps in five-star quarterback transfer wins the heisman there's some I, there go ahead no i was just gonna say I, it's just very weird i never thought that <coughs> oklahoma's had back-to-back heisman trophy winners and they were both transfers oh and now again they're gonna have probably another transfer starting for them in jalen hurts who is a national mm-hmm. championship quarterback regardless of how you feel about his ability and what he can do and how he limited Alabama or whatnot. Nonetheless, national championship quarterback who 
led his team at times was a very Joe Flacco type. I'm here for the best of best of the team. I want to do what's best for the team. I want I want the team to succeed. You know, very not an eye guy at all. Very mm-hmm. team guy. Could have transferred at any time. Look at Kelly Bryant. You know, earlier this year he lost out to Trevor Lawrence, and I don't think it was an indictment to Kelly Bryant's lack of ability. Kelly Bryant again has made national championship games before. Didn't win it. Made games. He played well. It's not like you watch Kelly Bryant and obviously he was a downgrade from Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson at Clemson was awesome. Um, he just had that competitive edge that someone that could beat Bama. Uh, but you saw the dip. There was a slight dip in terms of production and talent and what Kelly Bryant brought to the fold um, as the Clemson quarterback. People were pushing for Trevor Lawrence. Like, why isn't this dude starting? Why isn't this dude starting? Look at him. Like, I saw I saw Trevor Lawrence warming up uh, when they gave FSU the worst home loss in school history this year. And I was watching him, and I have never in my life caught myself in such an awe of watching someone throw the football. How'd the hair Oh, look? my God. His hair was awesome. Rocking. Like some, I've talked to some people, and they go, oh, I hate him. And I go, I can't hate this guy. There's no way I can hate this guy. This dude is awesome. He's got the hair. He's got the, the moxie swag about him. He throws a beautiful football. He makes not all the right decisions, but essentially, like, Kelly Bryant transferring or deciding to transfer midseason wasn't an indictment to what he can do. It was just a praise mm-hmm. and an acknowledgement to, like, yeah, we have a generational quarterback playing for us at Clemson right now, and we can't not play him. I mean, look at the hair. <laughs> That's what I'm. I have long hair. I'm gonna go back to that. You look at a guy, that hair signal signals a couple things. He knows he's gonna get mocked for sunshine, sunshine, all that good stuff. That's one thing. But he he's like I'm a, I'm literally been called the best quarterback prospect since Elway in '82, and now, and I'm and just like what? Did the person who said he hates him an FSU fan or student? No, it was one of my uh, oh. it was one of my Idaho buddies from back home. Um, that's just that's just weird. Then that's what I thought. But we also have we I, also have a friend. Uh, who goes to Clemson and he obviously loves bragging about how awesome Clemson is. Um, so I think part of it is just to, in spite of our friend that goes to Clemson. I mean, you should brag, not brag. Oh yeah. I mean, every, I don't go ahead. I don't, I don't hate Alabama anymore. I don't hate Clemson. I don't hate the golden state warriors. I literally just laugh Enjoy and astonishment when I watch like all these teams because yet you just it gets to the point where you just have to just appreciate it, especially from our side. We're here talk trying to give objective takes. I think we do a good job of keeping it objective, and um, and you have to just realize greatness is greatness. One thing about the Clemson thing, then I'll let you get we we'll get to the quarterbacks. Um. Is that I saw someone? It was not like an official account, but someone has probably like six six figures accounts. He um tweeted out the top teams and ranking program history of the ACC, and Clemson was number one over Florida State. Just want to say that's kind of kind of um little recency bias, but it is what it is. So back to your Kelly Bryant continuation. People just forget how dominant that FSU. 
last BCS championship team was. Clemson joined the ACC in the 50s. FSU joined 92. Clemson has 18 ACC titles. FSU has 15. That's all you need to hear. Miami has zero. Shout out to you, Miami. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, So to continue my rant. um, Yeah. You have an inf like, and another thing is these quarterbacks are just transferring and it's turning into quarterback free agency. Um, I'm going to pull up a list of quarterback transfers. I had one and I don't know where my page went, but this will work. Um, Another and another example, honestly, uh, very similar to what happened at Clemson. Obviously, it's it's crazy that the two best teams have this issue. But Jalen Hurts, also a national championship quarterback, similar people viewed him in this, a similar light to Kelly Bryant. Good, but was he good enough? We don't know. Um, especially when you have someone like Tua sitting in the fold waiting to come out. Um, so you have Jalen Hurts. And to kind of add to the whole transfer thing, but Oklahoma add another transfer. Jalen Hurts transfer from Alabama to Oklahoma. He's going to more than likely be the starter for Oklahoma, barring some crazy uh, freshman type incident where he gets beat out again, which would just be uh, my heart would go out to him at that point. Um, but he's getting a shot at Oklahoma. You have Kelly Bryant transferring from Clemson to Missouri. And Missouri just uh, did you see what happened with Missouri at all? And ter- can't say I did. Um, Missouri was I don't know what the charges were. I don't know what they were getting accused of, but so allegedly they were getting accused of something. Where under NCAA investigation, they fully complied, worked with them wanted to make sure the investigation because they knew I think they knew that they had messed up but they thought okay maybe the blow will be less severe if we work with them and cooperate and make the process run smoothly instead of trying to hide stuff a la Ole Miss I didn't say it you did um I didn't say anything whoa whoa (laughs) I'm joking but no a la that did that did that did happen in Florida though when they were trying to get the um um I don't know if I can say the word. The uh, extracurricular recruiting activities was when they were on their trip to Orlando when they played FSU. But continue once again. So, you know, you have the Ole Miss situation and Ole Miss and uh, th- that that school is just notorious for doing whatever it takes on the recruiting trail. Um, as most schools are, it's just Ole Miss has been more in the public light with it. Um, I, I'm not ignorant to say that it doesn't happen at other schools, no matter how much I love college football, I understand that it's not as pure as I wish it would be. Um, but anyways, you know, you have Missouri complied, went through all these things, and now they have a postseason ban for whatever, like for two seasons, and they lost scholarships. Oh yeah, I did see the headline. I didn't um, the story. So I don't, I I should look into it more and see exactly what's going on, but. It kind of goes to show just to the NCAA, like it doesn't really matter how much you comply and how much you're going to do. The NCAA, NCAA is going to slap you ho- however you want. And unless you're throwing money back at them or you have some type of pool or you know someone, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it's going to be to the NCAA's demise one day that all this, all the ways that they've handled these things is just going to blow up in their face and they're not going to know what to do. Um, that's another story for another day, though, in terms of evaluating the NCAA and all their shenanigans but anyways 
more five-star <laughs> transfers. Jacob Eason, who um, I'll just read what ESPN has written here. Eason, a former five-star recruit, transferred from Georgia to Washington, sat out last season um, after losing a, to Jake after losing his job to Jake Fromm because he got hurt in 2017. Uh, he's going to be a fourth-year junior who started 12 games as a freshman, had 2,400 yards passing, 16 touchdowns. Um, he's 6'6", so John Elway, have your eyes peeled out for this dude. Um, <laughs> he's going to be replacing four-year starter Jake Browning. Um, and I guess, the wash, according to this, Washington returns just about everyone but Browning and their tailback, Miles Gaskin. Um, so Jacob Eason, a five-star quarterback out of Georgia or from Georgia, is going to be stepping in right into Washington, sat out a year, so he had a whole year to learn the system, um, and is going to be the guy for Washington moving forward into this year, which is actually going to make the Pac-12 hopefully interesting. Hopefully. Crossing my fingers. Um, he's a local He's a local kid, too. Local Seattle-Washington ah, guy. nice. I did not know that. Uh, moving mm-hmm. down the list, and this is the craziest one so far. This is the one that completely blew my mind. Justin Fields... According to the 2018 ESPN 300, was the number one overall recruit. Uh, I want to say he's from Kennesaw, Georgia. Um, because he, had, I'll fact check. Because I'm pretty sure he's not all that. all that far away from FSU. And he, he, uh, f- Kennesaw, you're five star, five star player. Was uh, the funny thing is Justin Fields had an interesting one because he was unranked at like going into his senior year. Then it went to like a couple camps and lit things up, and then people started watching him more, and they're like, "Oh, this dude's actually pretty good." And then he absolutely blew up his senior year. Um, but he goes to Georgia, um, and he, according to this article, I'm just going to read this tidbit. Uh, there are still some answer unanswered questions about his. Oh, he is he did get cleared, so he transferred to Ohio State and got the waiver. Uh, this article was written before he got the waiver, but Justin Fields is eligible. He start to started taking classes this spring semester, uh, starting in January at Ohio State. He is eligible to play, to start as the Ohio State quarterback going into the 2019 season. And um, according, he filed a hardship waiver, um, and part of it was, I guess. Um, he, there were just like some, I, I heard it was like some racial things that he was claiming happened at Georgia and whatnot. And then they gave him the waiver. Um, I haven't seen in my, from just my following and keeping tabs on these things and whatnot. I haven't ever seen someone get a waiver who actually played in games, like played in as many games as he did. Um, I'm actually going to look it up. Fields, Georgia stats. So we can kind of dive into this because it is kind of nuts um, how mm-hmm. much he actually played. Uh, Eason was a Eason was a five star guy too, yes, right? Both were. Okay, so he played in. He played in. Oh, he only threw. How many passing yards did he have for the for the season? Um, he played the biggest game he played was against UMass in end of end of November, where he went five of eight, 121 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, but other than that, he had just kind of like some garbage time stuff through a couple games. And since they, oh, and he had seven rushes for 100 yards in that same game. Mm, interesting. I'd like to go back and watch that. Um, 
I, I know. I'm ridiculous at times. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, man, I love it. I love um, it. So he got the got he got the waiver from Ohio. So he's going to be starting Ohio State, but he and with the whole maybe they counted it as like looked at it as a redshirt because now you can play in four games and still have be eligible to redshirt. Um, and without losing a year of eligibility. So maybe that's how they looked at it, but he didn't really have like, it wasn't anything crazy, honestly, um, that got him the transfer, but the NCAA gave him the transfer. And so now he is playing immediately, essentially as big of a quarterback free agency as it gets in -hmm. terms of college football. It was ridiculous. But the thing is, is that had a ripple effect. Justin Fields transferring and getting the waiver and knowing that he was, they had to have felt pretty good about getting a waiver. Um, if he enrolled in classes as quickly and just was going with those things because he transfers there. Tate Martell, um, a former four-star recruit out of Los Angeles or not uh, out of Las Vegas was at Ohio state. And the interesting thing is last year at this t- or last year at the end of spring ball, Joe Burrows, who started at LSU this year, um, he transferred out of the Ohio State program to LSU, um, but he had already graduated. He didn't have to worry about the transfer waiting out getting a waiver because he had already graduated from Ohio State. But he transferred because of Dwayne Haskins, and he didn't want to play behind him. So the backup this year Mm -hmm. was Martell, who in, it says, in 2018, Martell went 23 of 28, 269 and a touchdown ran 22 times nice for 128 yards and two scores i'm personally not like crazy uh in love with martell but he is transferring from ohio state to miami and he's going to be applying for is going to be applying for that same waiver that justin fields got and here's my thing justin fields kind of i Play, I don't want to just say like played the race card, but that's the ple- that's the card he played was that there was a racist thing uh, going on, and that was the reason why he wanted out. Interesting though, and we and we won't know that we won't know if it's for sure yeah, or not. Just just pure just what what has been told on the Twitter sphere mainly, and the articles that I've read on it. Um, the interesting thing is Justin Fields' sister still plays softball at Georgia. But anyways, huh. yeah, I know, right? Oh. Interesting, right? That's that's why I look at this. I go, how does that? I don't know. They gave it to him, and it's Ohio State. And I go, is this like their like Ohio State's consolation prize to losing Urban Meyer or something? I don't know. Like, <laughs> like is the NCAA still just want Ohio State to be on top and go? Okay, this will like almost guarantee it. You know, like, hey, go. You know, go, go, go there. Who's the? I don't mean to interrupt you. Who was I? You said earlier. Who was the? Ba- Where the backup transfer? The one that was not Tate Martell. The other one, Joe Burrows. LSU. Yeah. Oh, that's the guy who played right away. Yeah, he's the guy that wow. played right away. But he didn't have to worry about getting a waiver because he had already graduated from yeah. Ohio State. And when you graduate, when you get your degree from your initial school, you can transfer right, right away because essentially, I think of it as uh, you held up your end of the contract. Your contract. You can the way you get out of your contract is by graduating from that school. As soon as you graduate from that school, you are now you're pursuing you're a student athlete. Student comes first. So you're pursuing your master's degree, you know. You he wants to go to LSU because they got this master's degree going on and he can go get this education. That's what they claim. 
Like that's the whole basis around not not having them sit out is they're mm -hmm. open. Like when I leave FSU, I graduate FSU. I don't have to stay at FSU to go to any grad school that I want to. I can go explore my options. Same difference. Um, because we're all viewed as students at that point, which is so interesting in my opinion. Um, but Tate Martell transfers to Miami and he's going to be playing the Urban Meyer got suspended. There was this whole coaching uh, uproar, you know, with the receivers coach and this and that and yada yada. He's going to be playing that card. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA rules Tate Martell's case in comparison to Justin Fields' case as Tate Martell was a high, highly rated four-star commit to Ohio State. Justin Fields was a highly rated five, or was the highest rated five-star quarterback. One of them got the transfer, got the waiver. One of them still doesn't have it. The Tate Martell is just to be announced. Um, NCAA is still reviewing it because they, they're on their own timeline. They don't worry about anyone else. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, with this QB transfer. But it continues. While Cle and you know Clemson's been on top for a while, they have had multiple five-star quarterbacks commit to them. One, they had the number one pocket passer quarterback in the ESPN uh, 300 from 2017. He was the Mr. Football in Indiana. I'm reading this on ESPN.com. He was the Mr. Football at Indiana, played in seven games as a freshman at Clemson, had 77.8% of his passes completed um, during those seven games. But Hunter Johnson, former five-star commit, is trans transferred to Northwestern last year sat out his year and is now going to be should be presumed the starter for northwestern football moving into the 2019 season so mm -hmm. now we have northwestern getting into the fold a big 10 another big 10 team getting to the fold on one of these five-star transfers and it's it's just interesting to see how quarterbacks are going about it some people are just transferring sitting out the year waiting their time going through it some quarterbacks are trying to apply for the hardship waiver and getting what they and trying to get what they got it happened last year excuse me <coughs> it happened last year with Shea Patterson transferring from Ole Miss because all the Ole Miss scandals he transferred uh, from Ole Miss to Michigan had to wait forever to hear if he was going to get granted the the uh, waiver got granted the waiver, but it's interesting how some how the NCAA dictates who is going to be getting the waiver and who's not going to get be getting the waiver, and that kind of jumps me into my next point into what's going to be happening with this quarterback free agency transfer free agency, um, especially with how college football's changed. Uh, they have this new portal system, so how it works is and it's advantageous I think for both the school and the student athlete. Um, because what the what what the transfer portal allows is they let you know uh, let's say I'm a kicker for FSU you know I'm, I'm a great kicker but we just signed this dude and he's just so much better than me and I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna play you know I shank too many field goals you know <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like it's a realistic realistic situation hey, uh, I don't kick but you know maybe it is I'm not um, anything to end the Aguayo curse. The Aguaya shadow hanging over the Florida State Dunlap Sports Complex might continue. I still, I still know. I could still 
I still claim that I know exactly when he was going to make it and when he was going to miss it just off the timing of when the ball was snapped. I still claim I still claim yes. that. And I'm still yes. very confident. Yeah, I'm going to tell my other AT friends when they start going to spring practice, like, hey, when Aguayo kicks, just count in your head. Done. And if it's longer than that, he's going to miss it every time. <laughs> miss it every single time. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. It's retail. I can't believe it. Um, but anyways, let's say I'm a kicker. You know, I'm going to transfer, yada, yada. Um, I can, if I want to just kind of get some feelers, like, hey, I think I can go kick. I think I'm a solid enough kicker, but I don't know if any schools will want to take me. So I can throw my name into this transfer portal. This is, I don't want to say it's like public record, but all the schools have access to the transfer portal and can see who puts their name in it. And they can kind of like essentially see what the what their market value is without committing to actually transferring. So they can go see what it's like, test the waters. If they don't have anything, they can still claim back to their school. But here's the caveat, and this is where the student athlete kind of puts themselves at risk. If they put their, if, uh, I'm like 98% sure on this. Um, I do need to double check on the facts on it though. But I'm pretty sure that if you put your name in the transfer portal, you put yourself at risk to not being able, like you're this, let's say I'm a kicker at Florida State. I'm on scholarship. I put my name in the transfer portal. If I want to come back to FSU, they don't necessarily have to give me my scholarship back. That's what I jeopardize. They can, they if they want me to stay and they don't want me to transfer, obviously they'll hand me my scholarship. But if I essentially jeopardize forfeiting my scholarship if I put my name in the portal, that's the whole caveat mm. to the thing. So now we're seeing teams do this and it's allowing a better communication between teams and the and the player in terms of where are we at, where are we at with where we see you, where am I at with where I see myself on the team and so on and so forth. But it's interesting. How much longer are players going to have to sit out a year after deciding they want to transfer when you have coaching turnover all the time in college football? Like FSU just fired their offensive line coach and they brought in another one. Uh, or they're going to be bringing in another one probably sometime announced next week, I would assume. Because uh, it's a pretty foregone conclusion who's going to be taking over uh clements mm-hmm. uh randy clements brought uh, art brought or it, is it, no kenny or what's what's his first what's Bryles first name kendall kendall, kendall Bryles. um and if it's not broken then we are breaking news for you right now first time we've done that on the fern podcast on the radio snippy network but back to you <laughs> great i was i'm I'm, I'm glad you did that. I'm, I'm nice. Checking that, you know, bucket, bu- you're, you're, bucket we're, list we're, off the podcast. We're, we're, <laughs> Break news. We're really earning that capital J of journalism. <laughs> um, but it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA starts treating, are they going to start treating it more like free agency and allowing these guys to transfer out at just after a year? Because like with, with, I think, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if they're going to set like a statute of limitations. Like, all right, if this happens, if like, if A happens and B happens and C happens, then if you meet this, if this certain criteria applies at your school, then you can transfer with no penalty. Or are they just going to dissolve the having to sit out a year penalty in general and be like, this is how you you can only transfer or, or the, you can transfer at any time and do this. It's going to be interesting to see what their restraints are because I think we're just going to keep seeing so many people transfer and so many people applying for these waivers. They're not going to have the manpower to be able to process all these. And honestly, it's unfair to the student athlete that maybe a coaching situation occurs 
or family issues occur or just opportunities to play uh, just aren't there. And you know, you're, it's college. Like you only have so many opportunities to go get the things that you want to go get and to accomplish the things you, you know, you're only a college football player once. Um, so it's going to be, I'm curious to see which way the NCAA is going to lean in terms of having these transfer rules still up with their limitations. Honestly, well, what would go ahead? Go ahead. No, no, finish. no you finish. No, your tell thought. me. Finish your thought. I, I was just going to say, honestly, I don't know which direction they're going to go, but I would like to see something that it's not necessarily all people. Uh, not everyone can transfer. I think there should be like, you need to maybe have like, uh, if they still want to incorporate student athlete stuff, like maybe you need to complete X amount of credits, credit hours, um, either like you have to complete X amount of credit hours to be able to transfer or you need to have, there's a criteria of like five different things, whether it's like position coach change, so on and so forth. Like let's say it's position coach change and credit hours. Let's say you have to have two of those things. <clears throat> if you have those two things and you can transfer immediately, um, then you can transfer immediately and have don't have to sit out. But I think it's, I don't think we'll see the drastic push in its entirety to um, to just transfers, free transfers for anyone because I think that puts too much power in the student-athletes' hands and the NCAA won't like that. They still are going to want to have control over the student-athlete as much as possible, but I think this rule is so outdated, I don't know what's going to happen. But the caveat to, let's say it's like a, let's say it's like a position coach uh, is something that allows transfers to just happen immediately. I think that'll actually be better for college football because you'll see less turnover of coaches. And I think coaches will appreciate that because they might get better job security, but also um, it'll make recruiting a lot more difficult because if you are constantly replacing your, uh, like for example, Nebraska had like an eight to 10 year run where they never had the same DB coach two years in a row. They kept losing their DB coach. There were some DBs that played in Nebraska that had five or six different DB coaches, which is ridiculous. So it'll ruin. Interesting. The interesting part of it is if losing a position coach somewhere somewhere down the line her, it allows for transfers, that could ruin your recruiting reputation um, with schools and other things, because it's like, why am I going to commit to you if you already have if you already have such a turnover of staff all the time, you know? And it'll make mm -hmm. it'll hold coaches more accountable to not just jump ship, you know. And I think you'll see less of the whole like Jimbo type thing, like, oh wow, writing on the wall. I didn't recruit as much as I did. Yada yada yada. This place is going down the dumps. All right, I'm just going to take this 75 million dollar guaranteed contract. No repercussions of leaving all those kids behind that I recruited. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. The th this thing with me is that... Um, what am I trying to say? The thing with this whole coaching and transfer thing is that... You say don't commit to a coach, commit to a school and a program. But the coaches and the coaching staff are such a big importance to that because they're the ones that are going to put you in the best position to succeed. They're the ones that are saying, hey, you come here, you're going to get this playing time and all that. So 
it's almost like in not an impossible situation. It, it's seemingly an impossible situation to fix because unless you just say, "Hey, if one coach leaves, your position coach leaves, you can go. If your head coach leaves, you know what? We can we the floodgates can open like when Ole Miss different situation. Circle back to Ole Miss. Actually, I'm not going to call them Ole Miss anymore. I'm going to call them the University of Mississippi, which is what they're supposed to be called because Ole Miss has. You do your own research. You look up Ole Miss people, and you go look at what it really means. Because I dated someone who went to Mississippi State, and yes, there are rivals, and they the hate is real in between those two teams. But just, just I'm gonna University of Mississippi. When their coach got fired and all the allegations, they were allowed to transfer wherever. The portal open, no portal. They were just said, "Hey, we can go here, we can go there," and they made some plays. And actually, some players came out on top. I think some got drafted. I don't remember the exact names of them. But you should – I don't see an easy fix. If a coach if a coach leaves, then you can leave. If a coach – like it's – because it's all this – there's no truer sense of being a salesman with like in your job than college football recruiting. You have to sell these 16, 17, 18-year-old kids on why your program – is the perfect fit and their answers are you're gonna get playing time i believe in you i'm your guy and all this stuff and the truth is the coaches are in it for themselves the coaches are in it to win they're gonna put the best they're gonna put themselves in the best position to win whether and they can say they care they do care they do care about the kids that's honest to god truth but at the end of the day it comes their jobs are on the line they they have families to support so it's it's just like such a sticky situation with this whole with this whole entire transferring of like instant instantaneous trade grants like Fields got or having to sit out of here like Easton got even though Easton could have just took his transfer year when he realized he he could have said hey um Fromm's Jake Fromm's gonna beat me out Jacob Fromm's gonna beat me out excuse me um Easton or is it Jake or Jacob it does, oh, I'm, I'm, semantics I'm completely off it yes. So Easton could have heard that, transferred his first year, and he could have been playing. He did transfer last year. I'm all over the place right now. He could have transferred this year. He could have been playing this year, battling Jake Browning for the starting job. There's just we've talked about all the problems about it, and even in all the different examples of it with just this class of transfers. Yet we can't come up with a solution, a logical one that would. Not only get through the board of trustees and and get passed by the NCAA, which is a completely different subject on its own thing, like you said before, but we can't come, we cannot find a solution, and that is a problem with the whole entire system. And I think at that point, you really have to look at it is the scholarship. When I was referencing earlier that we're stuck in a forties, fifties rules in a twenty first century, I'm mainly referring to how scholarships work. Um, because back in the day they had teams, you know, or they were starting to establish teams and these guys were like, Hey, or they were trying to figure out how they could recruit people to come play college football and come play college sports. Um, cause college was a, uh, luxurious thing. Not a, some people view it as a necessity. Now it's not, in my opinion, college isn't a necessity, but some people, it, 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 there's a big launching point that comes off college. But back in the day, it was a luxury to go to college, not something that was like you need post high school education to survive. 
So with that being mm-hmm. said, they were offering, they were just like, hey, we can just, we'll pay for your tuition. You can get free school, come play football for us. And of course they're like, oh, wow, what an opportunity. Like free schooling, you know, that's so expensive. That's so this and that. It's hard to get into. It's hard to be that. Like I have no reason to, but if I get to go play football, like that, that's great. Like that's, I see that as a win-win. That was set way back when, before you had TV deals, before you had conference championships, before you had uh, a big bowl game, like big, big bowl game money, you know. And now we're seeing all these different things starting to add up and all these universities and people making money off all these athletes and how much time and energy that these athletes have to put in. Yet a part of the part of the problem is that they get pampered and everything gets taken care of for them that they don't learn any responsibility because they're not given any responsibility because they can't be compensated and treated like adults because you can't pay them like adults. You can't treat them as if this is their job. You know, you're, you're the, you're a student athlete. You need to be doing this and that, but we can't compensate you. You need to be poor and you need to not have this and that because you know, you're in college, yada, yada. But the thing is, is that system is outdated. You have coaches getting buyouts of millions, millions of dollars. You have coaches switching schools year in, year out, getting ridiculous contracts. You, you know, you got the Harbaugh's making eight, nine million coaching at at Michigan. You have uh, Brent, not, not to Brent Venables is a defensive coordinator at uh, Clemson. And he is the most, I think he's the highest paid defensive coordinator in the country. And I think he makes like 2 million a year. And he's not even the head coach. Mm-hmm. Like, and they go, "Oh, there's no yeah. money for these students, you know." And I go, "There is money. Y'all just don't want to div- divvy it out to other people." And it doesn't have to be. These kids are straight out of high school. Like, if they had a job, they were. There's no way none of these kids were making more than thirteen dollars an hour on the high end, you know. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. don't have to compensate them all that much, like me, when I get a paycheck, if I get. If I make 500 bucks at my job in two weeks, I'm ecstatic. Like, that is oh, yeah. huge. But these guys are, instead of having that and teaching them responsibility of how to manage money and how to manage responsibility and how to be like, if you don't take care of yourself, this is what happens. And, like, I always, this is what I think is, instead, because, you you know, a lot of times you you just have time, like, guys don't want to, if they're not all in and bought in on the program, they don't want to be there and they don't, you know, they'll show up late to meetings. They'll half, you know, they'll half effort it in, uh, in, in weights or they won't show up to their treatment times in the training room or whatever, you know, they're not taking the responsibility. Here's my thing. You want to teach these guys responsibility. You want to teach these guys accountability. You want to teach these guys how to be professionals because that's how you're treating them with all the with all the promos and everything that you make them do and all the advertisement, the photo shoots and all this stuff, you're treating them as if they're professionals. Why don't you pay them in any time, you know, have them sign a contract, pay for their tuition, have them sign a contract saying, if you do, if you are late to meetings, if you miss your treatment time when you're supposed to be there, if you are showing up late to meetings, if you're not doing the things that you need to do, you're not working out when you need to, you're not doing your off season lifts. Have them sign a contract, and as soon as they start breaching those things, find them, charge them money, and make them accountable for their actions. You know, if their grades slip, cool, you're on a semester ban of getting your stipends because you let your grades slip. If that's how you want to compensate student-athletes, if you're not showing up to your meetings, find them because if there's one, if there's one way that the university – number one thing that people hate – 
I think, at universities is getting parking tickets. But as soon as you get a parking <laughs> ticket at FSU or get a parking ticket on campus, what's the thing that you try to do? You will do whatever it takes to avoid getting a parking ticket, whether it's having to mm-hmm. register your car, making sure you're not going to park the way you parked before, making sure that you're parking in a smarter way than you did before, whatever it is. But the reason people hate parking tickets is because it's a lame 30, 50, 30 to 50 bucks that you shouldn't have to pay because you made a stupid, silly, lazy error. I see it the same way as how that's how college football should be. Pay these guys. doesn't have to be much, but they will lose and it, it even incentivize them. If this is the baseline, let's say you get $1,000. Let's say you get $2,000 for the semester. That's your baseline. If you make Dean's list, get over three, five, you get this added bonus, you know, and that will help. That will hold everyone accountable. Like, Hey, you should get this because if you get this, then you get the bonus. But at the same time, Mm-hmm. that's where it gets tricky because all these guys are going to be like, hey, will you just do this and I'll split the bonus with you? So it's like different things of that nature. Um, but at the same time, it would help address and I think it would help preach and hold players accountable for their actions and their laziness And like, because there are other people in those buildings. Everyone that is working for them, they're working, like you said, they have families to feed and they mm-hmm. got livelihoods that they need to maintain. So everyone else is trying to be accountable, but if the players aren't being accountable and you're trying to do everything you can to make them accountable, you have to discipline them in the way. I bet Nick Saban does it a great way. I bet Nick Saban I bet has a great discipline accountability program because that's just Alabama football. But if he was paying, if the players were getting paid on record, getting paid, and then you were able, <laughs> I was gonna say, and something. then you were able to actually on record find them and be like, "This is why I'm taking your money. This is why I'm taking your money." You start taking money from people. And people will start paying attention to why you're taking their money. It's the number one way to get someone's attention is to find, like, I had a, I had a late fee mm-hmm. one semester for tuition. I haven't had a late fee since. Like, I make <laughs> sure I don't get late fees. You know, like, it's just things like that. You don't, you mm-hmm. want people to respond, take money out of their pocket. I think, and it would empower the student athlete to have more responsibility and to be you you want this? You want to be you want to be a big boy? You want to you know have all the glitz and glamour and all the pictures and people to take care of the things? All right, cool. Hold up your end of the deal. I'll give you this, but hold up your end of the deal. And then if they don't, fine them. And you get so many fines, fine. Kick them off the team. Simple as that. They don't want to be here. Obviously, they're losing all this stuff. We're not going to waste waste our resources on you. Terminate the contract. I think having I think that's a great thing because, like you said. Money, like, money is a lot. Like, they're not. Whenever in doubt, it's always about the money. Always about the money. And they're and they're getting more than two thousand a semester, obviously, to live off of. But they can't. They have such a small window to maximize their college image, to get maximize their college career, to get to the next level. That they're gonna put all of their effort towards that. And they're going to give – the smart ones go to class. The smart ones do all the stuff. They take care of education. They understand the power of that because this football career is going to end eventually. But that's not for everyone. And what happens – they have the thing, they have the blue shirts where if you get injured, they're just like, you know what? We don't, wanna, we don't want you anymore on our team. We're not going to pay for your stuff like this. Like that stuff, you, and you stay on scholarship. But there's still, there's still just no, like, incentive. It's just – I, I like the fine system. In high high school baseball, we had a kangaroo jaw, a kangaroo court, where if you messed up, 
say you were late for a practice, got a detention, you wouldn't put in money. You would go buy the locker room snacks. You go buy gum, sunflowers, you all that stuff. And it, it creates an environment of, hey, take, just take care of your stuff and you want to do this. So it just gives them more responsibility because, yes, they are pampered. They are. They don't get paid, but they are pampered to the umpteen degree. Pampered more so than like rich people's dogs. Dog, like it's unreal. <laughs> that's another. That's another title to add to it. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. There's. There's just. There's honestly no better way to put it. That, and they don't. And they don't feel the responsibility because if you're the superstar, you're gonna play regardless because the coaches want to win, and. But if you're on the lower end of the spectrum, you're just going to get kicked off the team. Or it's just there's no medium with this. And the contract thing is the that what you said is the best way to handle that. Honestly. They're they're 18 years old. More often than not coming in, you're at, you're 18 years old. Like there are some guys that we had turn 18 during fall camp, but for the most part, they're 18 years old. They're adults. They have to pay taxes. They have to do these things. They're eligible for, you know, the draft. Like, there's a variety of things that that are uh, – there are a variety of things that go into it. But, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I feel like that is a great way to end this conversation. Because we figured out a contract situation for the players – to get paid, but we did not. We still have not figured out the transfer portal, which is still disappointing. We'll figure all that stuff out. But Noah, this was, this was a great podcast. Thank you for coming. Thank you on. for having me. I didn't. I th- I only anticipated having like twenty minutes worth of college football to talk. But when the yeah. lid comes off, I guess I have more surplus than I thought. Exactly. There's always room. And this is the fun that we don't even take notes. We just <laughs> have we just talk. Because I feel like notes put you in a construct because you read the notes like, all right, I got, I got this thing, I got to move on to the next one. You're like, oh, I got to rush. But so, hey, great podcast. Everyone, enjoy your weekend. Um, and, yeah, to keep stay on the radio station, listen to some Radio St. Pete stuff, and that will do it for the Firm Podcast on the Radio St. Pete Network. Take it easy.